Today we're starting a new series. We're going to talk for three weeks on the Holy Spirit. All right, three weeks on the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's one woohoo. All right, hopefully by the end, some of you are like, the whole reason I don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit is because all people do is woohoo around the Holy Spirit. Um, what we're doing on Thursday nights is Alpha, which Alpha is a, I think it's 16 weeks of just kind of the fundamentals of Christianity, the basic beliefs, basic theology. And so on schedule this week, we were supposed to be doing three weeks on the Holy Spirit. And uh, we really felt as a staff and leaders that we wanted this to be a message that the whole church could listen to, not just the people who can come on Thursday night, because there is often so many misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. Often it's overlooked, he's often misrepresented or misunderstood, and so we really wanted to do that. Some of you are here today thinking, man, I don't want to be a part of anything that's about the Holy Spirit, because that's when the Christians get weird. Maybe that's been your experience. When they talk about the Holy Spirit, that's when the weird stuff happens. Maybe you grew up in church, and there's a, I, I grew up in a church that wasn't super charismatic, but there was times when people would talk about the Holy Spirit. There would be crazy, scary words like manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and people would speak in tongues. And that was probably the number one reason I never wanted to invite a friend to church, because I would think, what are they going to think? You know, this would, they're going to think we're all crazy. This is something that you all maybe have experienced, maybe you've thought about, or certainly you have friends who say, yeah, what's the whole deal with that? And what's the whole deal with the Holy Spirit? And to people who have never heard it before, yeah, it sounds a little weird. So we thought, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. This is not something I'm making up. This is, we're going to look in the scriptures. We are going to look at the Word of God. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit quite a bit. So as anything in our church, and as we start talking about the Holy Spirit, maybe this is part of, you know, a sermon series where you might feel a little bit more uncomfortable. With anything that's ever presented at church, if this is just my opinion and my wisdom and everything Jeff has learned about Christianity, well, that's just a waste of everybody's time. And if you're nervous about something that I say that's my opinion, yeah, by all means, take it or leave it. But what we're doing is we're looking into the Word of God. This is what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. And so don't discredit it just because it makes you feel a little uncomfortable, because it's the Word of God. This is not my opinion, but this is what the Scripture says. So the whole goal over the next few weeks, we're going to do this for three weeks, is to just help bring an understanding to who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. That's what we're going to look at. And to recognize this is not kind of a, a fringe thing for the crazy Christians. This is not just like an emotional benefit for some Christians. This is a foundational thing to a life of Christianity. This is a vital foundation to the life of a Christian to walk in the, in the life that God wants for us, to have power and boldness and to, uh, to have the conviction in our heart to follow after God the way he wants us to follow after him. So we are going to start in the Gospel of John, and I would love it if you had a Bible. There are black hardcover Bibles in most of the pews there. This would be a great one, a great series for you to bring your Bible. And this one especially, if you have a Bible around you, pick it up and take the next few minutes and find the Gospel of John, because we're basically going to be in all within a few pages um, today. So the Gospel of John, chapter 14, uh, that's in the New Testament near the end of the Gospel of John. That's where we're going to start, and we're going to cover a couple of things in a, the last couple of chapters of John, and then the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts, which is the very next book in the Bible. So the end of the Gospel of John, this is Jesus' ministry. Just a little bit of backstory where we're going to pick it up today. This is Jesus has been on the earth. He's been doing miracles. He's been leading the disciples, and crowds are following him, and he's 
got a lot of people following him because he's doing miracles and he's got a lot of religious rulers who are mad at him and planning to crucify him. And so this is all happening where we're going to read today in John 14, really on the, like the last day before Jesus is arrested and crucified. This would be part of, you know, when we read about the Last Supper. So I point that out to say he's with his disciples and he knows the time is coming where he'll be arrested and crucified. So when we read these things, you kind of have to keep that in mind, that these are like his final words to the disciples. If you have mentored somebody for three years and you know you're about to leave and you've got one more kind of conversation with them, you're going to talk about all the important things, right? Remember this. Don't forget this. Remember this. And so he is doing that in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. So, you know, in 14, the first... You know, the first couple of verses, he's telling his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going, to there, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. He's telling the disciples, don't be troubled, okay? I'm about to leave, and I'm going to go to heaven to prepare a place for you. But don't worry about it. Don't be troubled. And the disciples still don't quite get what he's saying. If you read on in that chapter, they still don't get that he's about to leave. Obviously, we have hindsight. We know that Jesus was about to be crucified and then resurrected and then ascend to heaven about 40 days after that. The disciples still don't really understand that. I think when Jesus is talking here, the disciples are probably thinking, man, he's speaking in more parables. He's telling more of these weird stories that, and I, I always imagine some of the disciples looking to the others like, do you understand what he's saying? Like, I thought it was just me. He's always talking in these stories that we don't understand. Jesus is being very straightforward here. I'm about to leave. I'm about to go away, but don't worry. So we picked that up. We're going to read um, in verse 16 and 17 of John 14. So John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, the words will be up on the screen. It says this. This is Jesus telling his disciples, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So this is Jesus introducing the Holy Spirit to the disciples. They still can't quite grasp what he's saying. But he's saying, don't worry, I'm leaving, but I'm going to ask the Father, and the Father is going to send another advocate. That word advocate we'll talk about more in a minute, but really is translated from the Greek language, what it was written in, to the word helper or associate or counselor or just someone to encourage you, someone to help you along with that. We'll talk about more of that in a minute. But Jesus is saying, I'm going away. God's going to send you another advocate, and he is going to be with you, and he's going to be in you. Here's what we learn about the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about here just from that verse, and we're going to look at some more verses in a minute. But what we learn about the Holy Spirit is he is God. He is God. In the same way that Jesus was fully God. Now, some of this might be like, oh, theology. I didn't want to come to church to talk theology. But the Holy Spirit is God in the same way that Jesus is. We learn from the Bible. Again, theology stuff that will make, make your brain hurt a little bit. We learn in the Bible that there are three individual parts to God. There is God the Father. There is God the Son, Jesus Christ. And we're usually okay with the Father and Son. But we also know that there is God the Holy Spirit. And in the Bible, we, we talk about that. We call that the Trinity. And if you try to think about how can there be three, but yet all one, but yet three distinct, but they're all one, it kind of will, it'll, you know, you'll kind of go into a brain vortex and try to figure that out. But that's what we call the, the Trinity. 
And we typically are okay, like I said, with God the Father, we like that. Jesus the Son, we like that. But the Holy Spirit is a little bit weird. We see the Holy Spirit as kind of like the weird cousin, right? There's Father and Son, and then there's the weird cousin who's always shouting things and making it awkward and speaking in tongues and wearing homemade clothing and all those things. Like, it's just a weird, just a weird cousin. We're not really okay with that. But that verse we just read is a great example of all three parts of God working together in the same verse. Look at it again. I, who's Jesus is saying this, will ask the Father, God the Father, and he will give you another helper or advocate. That's the Holy Spirit. So he is God. The Holy Spirit is God. It's important to know all the same attributes of God. He's eternal. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. The second thing we learn just from that verse is the Holy Spirit is God's presence on earth. So if we walk around the world today and we say, well, God's presence is here, we sense God's presence, that's the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came, that was God's presence coming to earth. In the same way the Old Testament would prophesy about a soon-coming Messiah, you know, throughout the Old Testament, you see one day a Messiah is going to come. They're prophesying about when Jesus would come to earth, God with us. This is Jesus almost saying the same thing's going to happen again, but this time it's God, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and is not going to be in human form, but is going to be spirit and is going to be everywhere and is going to be dwelling in you. This is what Jesus is teaching about the Holy Spirit. Now this is big. The idea of God's presence is going to come and not just be in a certain spot, but is going to be with you and in you. This God's presence is going to be in you. This was a foreign concept to them because everything leading up to that throughout the Old Testament was if you wanted to experience the presence of God, you had to go to the temple. That's where the presence of God was. Or you had to talk to the presence of God, the anointing of God would dwell on the king or on the priest or the prophet. And you would go to a place of God or talk to the man of God. And that's how you would be near God's presence. Jesus is saying it's not that way anymore. The Holy Spirit's going to come and it's going to dwell in you. In you. The presence of God in you and with you. He's our helper I mentioned that word, the advocate. He is our helper. He's our counselor, our intercessor, someone who is going to help us live as followers of Jesus Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit does. If you ever have walking through life thinking, man, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how, I I need wisdom here and I need strength here. God, give me strength here and and know what to do here. I, I need help. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It comes and it helps you live the life of faith. I was thinking about this this week, I've told the story of Charlie, and every time I do this, Charlie's like, great, another Charlie story in a sermon. When he was born, he was very sick, and he spent 10 weeks in the hospital, and he was really sick, and so we were overwhelmed by the reality of the situation, because we already had Lucy at the time, who was 15 months old, so we're caring for a toddler at home, and then we've got our newborn at the NICU in Children's Hospital Minneapolis, so we're driving down there. I'm still trying to work at the church where I'm going. It was just really overwhelming. And then one day, they said, we've set up an appointment for you with a social worker. And I was thinking, I don't need more things to do. But that appointment there really helped me because it was somebody who came alongside of us and said, I know this is overwhelming. I'm going to help you with the process. I'm going to help you sort through. Because there's not just worried about your kid in the hospital and trying to manage normal life. Then there's insurance companies and specialists and hospital bills and all the things that are available for you and government aid and all these things that in the moment of a tragedy, you can't possibly be thinking about all those things. But that social worker came alongside of us and said, I'm going to help you. 
I'm going to make sure you're getting the right things. I'm going to make sure all the paperwork's going to the right people. I'm going to help guide you through this. I know this feels overwhelming, but I'm going to help you get through this. I thought of that. That's really what the Holy Spirit does, just saying, I'm going to help you through life. I'm going to give you what you need in life to help you live out the life of faith that God wants you to live. In the next chapter, John 15, verse 26, John 15, verse 26, Jesus is still teaching now, giving the final instructions to the disciples, and he says this in 1526, when the advocate comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. This is another key thing about the Holy Spirit. It says there in that verse, he's the Spirit of truth. He's the spirit of truth, and he will testify about me. That's what Jesus is saying. This is something about the Holy Spirit is that he always points people to Jesus. He always brings you closer to Jesus. If you ever want to know something that's going on in a church or in somebody else that, is that of the Holy Spirit? That's kind of a church phrase when things are starting to get a little weird around, you know, around churches. Is that of the Holy Spirit? Is that person of the Holy Spirit? Is what they said of the Holy Spirit? You can always tell one of the ways, one of the key ways is, is it glorifying Jesus? Is it pointing people to Jesus? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. It says right there, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's the spirit of truth, and he will testify about me. He's going to point people to Jesus. That's what he does. And we see this more specifically. Flip over, actually, the next, you know, just a few verses later in John 16, verse 7. says this. Again, Jesus is still teaching. But very truly, I tell you, it is good. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, or the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. That's a big verse right there. But I love that Jesus is saying, listen, I'm leaving, and your first response is going to be sadness and sorrow because Jesus is gone. Obviously, if your whole life was you know, changed by following this Messiah, this teacher, and all of a sudden he leaves... You're going to feel like, well, what do we do now? But Jesus is saying, it's better for you if I go, because then the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he will convict the world, prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. What does that mean? And some of you that are thinking, this is why I don't like talk about the Holy Spirit, because all it is is just this kind of angel on your shoulder saying, oh, you're messing up there. You're falling short. You're never going to make it to heaven if you keep doing that. Oh, way to go there, you know. Good luck going to church this Sunday. Kind of condemning you all the time. Kind of smacking your wrists with the ruler, saying, you know, why are you messing up all the time? Well, the work of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus is saying here is this. One of the things it does is convict people. If you are, maybe you've experienced this, so if you're kind of in this category of someone who was far from God and then got saved... And in that moment when you were far from God, you were unsaved, you just had that kind of conviction moment that happened in your heart where you said, you know what, there's got to be more to life than this. You know what, I need something more than this. Or that moment where you had heard about Jesus your whole life, but there was that moment where all of a sudden it became real to you. That was the Holy Spirit convicting you, drawing you closer to Jesus. That's what he does. But it also says that he will convict of righteousness and judgment. So I want you to get this. This does not mean the Holy Spirit is constantly nagging us to live better. Live better or you'll be judged. What these verses mean, and especially if you read on after that, Jesus is saying what these verses mean is that he convicts us because 
He convicts us that because of Jesus, we are already made righteous. So our, as, as followers of Jesus, and I'm going to try to explain this well, as followers of Jesus, we don't have to do things to show that we are righteous. Because of the blood of Jesus, because of the forgiveness we've seen, we are already seen as righteous by God. So the Holy Spirit's job is to convince you of that. If you're a follower of Jesus saying, you are righteous, you are in right standing with God. Your relationship with God is good. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And then also convicts of judgment. And what the Holy Spirit does is the ruler of the world at the time, our enemy, Satan, the devil, the enemy that comes to to steal and kill and destroy and derail us, what the Holy Spirit's job is saying, he's already been judged. He's already been defeated. Your relationship with God is strong, and the enemy of your soul has been defeated and has no power over you. So the bottom line about the Holy Spirit is this. He is God. He is the presence of God on the earth. He helps us. He convicts us of sin. And he, he convinces us of the truth of our right standing with God and to remind us that the enemy has been defeated and no longer has power over us. These are the works of the Holy Spirit in us. Doesn't that sound good? That's not weird and creepy, right? This is a good thing that we need in our life, the presence of God leading us, guiding us, encouraging us, spurring us on. This is what he does. So those are some verses in the Gospel of John when Jesus is introducing the Holy Spirit to his disciples. Well, then we move to the book of Acts. So just a few pages later, the book of Acts. This is kind of the rest of the story. The Gospels are all about Jesus and his life and ministry. The book of Acts is all about the early church after Jesus ascended to heaven. And this was after Jesus was crucified and he rose again. And if you read the Gospels and all the accounts, you know that after he rose again, he was on the earth for about 40 days, appearing to all sorts of people so that there would be all these eyewitnesses that Jesus was, in fact, alive. But before he ascended to heaven, he sat down with the disciples again, again saying, hey, remember, remember all the important things. That's when he gave them the great commission. I want you to go into all the world make disciples to preach the gospel. This is what he was doing. But in addition to that, Jesus gave his disciples a really important instruction. And that's found in the very first chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. This is Jesus again talking. On one occasion, actually not him talking, but just telling about what he said. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, while Jesus was eating with the disciples, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John the Baptist, John the Baptist, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is reminding them, remember what I said, I'm leaving, the Holy Spirit's coming. But he said, don't get ahead of the game here. I've I've commissioned you to go into all the world and make disciples, but first you have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. In other words, he's saying you need the Holy Spirit. You need to wait. Wait till the Holy Spirit comes. You are going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You will not be able to accomplish what I'm asking you to accomplish without the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Not only the presence of God with you, but in you. And the disciples still don't quite get it. In verse 6, they say they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Again, they're thinking just earthly kingdom, that Jesus is going to conquer the Romans and set up an empire. In verse 7 and 8, I love these verses. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit gives us power and boldness and encouragement, all the things we need to accomplish what God has for us. All, you might think God's got a call on your life, and he does, Sometimes it's a general call to just grow in faith, to become, you know, to pursue holiness and righteousness, to become more Christ-like in your love and servanthood for others. All these things, these are general things that God's call is for all of us. And some of you, we get a specific call where God's saying, I want you to leave and go be a missionary. I want you to plant a church. I want you to start a business. I want you to change careers. I want you to share your faith with this person here. I want you to mentor this person here. The way we are going to be able to accomplish what God has for us is with the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? With the power of the Holy Spirit that comes in us. So, Acts chapter 2. Here's the main event. Here's where it all happens, okay? This is good stuff. Here's where you're thinking, oh, man. Here's where they get all weird and Pentecostal on us. This is the big event. The Holy Spirit is poured out. So it happens in Acts chapter 2. I flipped my page of my notes at the wrong time. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 11 is what I'm going to read. It's when the Holy Spirit comes. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, the disciples, in one place, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And then they list a lot of nations here. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues or in our own language. This is what's happening. The disciples are waiting because Jesus told them to wait, and they're in a room, and they're praying. They're gathered together, and then the room shakes, and there's this rushing wind, and the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes them, and they see these like tongues of fire. I don't know what that looks like, but that's got to be cool. Coming to rest on all of them, and they all start speaking in other tongues, and because it was the Feast of Pentecost, that was one of three times throughout the year where Jews from all the surrounding nations, it said every nation under the sun, they would go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to partake in the feast. So this was the Feast of Pentecost. So all of these people, they hear this noise going on in this room, and they all gather around, and they say, these are all Galileans. These aren't the smartest guys around, but they're all speaking in our language. Our language from that nation way far away. What an amazing moment. People from every nation hearing God's praises, the truths of God's word in their own language. So, I know the speaking in tongues thing is going to be weird for some of you, but here's what happened in this story. Either 
the Holy Spirit came on them and kind of divided up languages and say, okay, Peter, you're going to have the ability to speak Arabic, and John, you're going to have the ability to speak, you know, Roman, Italian, whatever. Um, you know, Philip, you're going to have the ability to speak in, uh, you know, Libyan, whatever, you know, whatever the languages were. And so one of them would kind of take a language, but I don't believe that's what happened because they say the groups were there. We hear them, all of them, we each hear them speaking in our language. So what I think happened and what I believe happened is this. They began to speak in another heavenly language and then God gave the ability for every person there to hear it in their own language. Okay, so some of you are thinking like, okay, so what? It's just language. But here's, imagine in that moment, either way it happened, imagine in that moment the encouragement that would have come to those disciples because they'd been given a task from Jesus to go into every nation around the world and preach the gospel. Well, one of the objections they would have had was, none of us know the language. How are we going to do this? This is an impossible task. So in that moment, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, instantly that language barrier, they're like, well, that's clearly not an issue anymore, right? Because the Holy Spirit is giving us everything we need to accomplish the task that he has. Imagine they would be so encouraged, their faith would be built up because they're saying, the Holy Spirit's with us. This is, what we, this is everything we need to accomplish that great commission. I know the, and we're in week three of this series, you might want to mark that down on your calendar two weeks from today. That's when we're going to talk more about speaking in tongues and what that means. So either you're like, I got to be here for that or I got to find something else to do that morning. But he, that's the thing that freaks people out. Because there's an understanding in many church circles that speaking in tongues is for the crazies. And sure, it sounds a little weird even reading this story and when I'm trying to explain it, it sounds weird. But when you just read this story in and of itself, what we read there is beautiful. It's powerful. It's not creepy and weird. It's God saying, my spirit is in you and everything you need to accomplish the life I have for you, I can give you because of the Holy Spirit. That's it. And next week, we're going to talk about more of what that means, the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and some of the things that he enables us to do. It's going to be great. You should come. But this is, you know, the speaking in tongues part. We're going to talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But I've experienced something like this. And this happened actually a couple of years ago when we were in Panama. And the great part about our missions trip to Panama is we're ministering to all these, it's a teenage conference that we put on, and there's all these altar times where we have a girls' conference, and so all the girl leaders are praying for all the girls up there, and there's, you know, like a thousand girls at the altar getting prayed for and receiving salvation in Jesus Christ. And then after that, we have a boys' conference. So what they do at the boys' conference, and they say, okay, we don't want it to be a distraction, so we just want the boy team leaders, the guys, the men, the boys, to pray for all the guys at the altar. So that's what we do. So, and, and the missionary who's there, we say, guys, we just need you to do this. And I know what you're thinking. You don't speak Spanish. How are you going to pray for him? But just pray for him. Just pray for him. And he always says, he's a, he's a Pentecostal guy. He says, if you speak in tongues, speak in tongues. Because, and so, you know, we were getting ready to do this. And that was a moment at the end of that boys' conference two years ago. What happened was um, a team member of ours, the colonel, Jeff Merricks, he was going around praying for people. He was laying hands on them. And he came back to me later and he said this. He said, I didn't know what to pray. I don't speak Spanish. So I was, I was just praying in tongues. But they were looking at me. And they were understanding what I was saying. So I'm pretty sure I was speaking Spanish. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool, right? That's not creepy weird. That's pretty awesome. So then he was telling that to Garrett, our missionary friend there. He says, oh, man, I, I experience that all the time. He's like, I'll, I'll be listening to someone pray, and I'll go over there. Like, I didn't, why didn't you tell me you speak Spanish? I'm like, I don't speak Spanish. You know, it's just something where the Holy Spirit is moving in us to accomplish the task that he has for us. 
The Holy Spirit is coming in a very practical way saying, you know what, you're worried about language, don't worry about the language. That's, not, that's nothing for me. We can accomplish that. The Holy Spirit could come in power in another way. You're worried about this obstacle? Don't worry about that obstacle. That's nothing for me. You got the Holy Spirit. You have the power and boldness for what you need. So last year, you know, they have the altar time where all these boys, so there's like 600 boys going to the altar, and the altar area in this theater is not big enough for that. So there's boys all along the front and then all up the aisles, and I'm kind of at the back. I've had several moments where um, I've experienced something where I look around and say, boy, I'm so glad I said yes to God when he asked me to do that. And when he asked us to plant this church, that was a moment where I'm like, I'm so glad we said yes. Christy and I have those moments where like, man, look what we'd be missing out on if we, if we didn't say yes to God. Because in that moment, there was a couple guys, a, a bunch of things happened. My son, Charlie, again, sorry, Charlie, you're getting double whammy today. Charlie is up in the tech booth because he's not so extroverted. He likes to kind of be behind the scenes. So he's up at the altar laying hands and praying for teenage boys in Panama, which was awesome. And then I see a couple guys from our youth group who a year before that didn't even go to church. All of a sudden, they're like crawling over seats praying for guys, which was awesome. So I'm standing at the back of an aisle, and there's like kids everywhere. And I'm like, well, I'm going to make sure every one of these kids, I don't know if any of them have been prayed for in their life, so I'm going to make sure they're all prayed for. And I was just praying in tongues. I was praying in a heavenly language. I'm not going to demonstrate for you now because you're probably like, prove it. You know, I'm not going to do that. I was just praying in tongues. And I don't know what they were hearing. I don't know if they were hearing Spanish or if they just sensed that God's Spirit was talking to them. I was just being obedient, knowing that a language barrier is nothing for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to use the gifts that he's given me. I'm going to use that so that they experience the presence of God. This is what the Holy Spirit does. This is not, it's not just about a language. Too many, too many times I think the baptism of the Holy Spirit gets hijacked by just speaking in tongues. And it's all about that. It's not about a language. It's about our need for the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can be filled with power and boldness and encouragement and the things that we need that God has for us to do. So that like those disciples, the obstacles that we might think, well, God wants me to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do that. I have no idea. Well, the Holy Spirit does. That's why the presence of God is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. And if Jesus were in the room today instructing all of us, he would say this. You, got, you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. I got a life. I got a plan for you. I got things you have to do, but wait until you, you got to have the Holy Spirit in your life. You got to have the power of God, the presence of God in your life. Again, if you're disagreeing with this and you're thinking, well, that, you know, that's just made up. This is not my words. If any of this is my words, let's forget all of it. This is, this is the word of God. Don't be, don't be rejecting the word of God just because it's something that you don't feel, you know, you're in agreement with. This is the truth of God's scripture. So let's be open to what that means for us. And that's what I'm going to do throughout the next two weeks through this series is I'm just going to ask you simply to look into God's Word and be open to what it says, to be open to everything that God has for you, right? I think there are ways that we can kind of roadblock the Holy Spirit. One of them is just doubt. I don't even believe that, or I don't want that, or I'm fine with Father and Son. I don't want the presence of God coming in here and messing around. But I'm just asking that we would be open to everything that God has everything that God has. We know in the scripture that God has good gifts, that God has things for your good. He's not going to give you something for your harm. He's not going to do things that are going to harm you. He has everything for your good so that you can point people to Jesus, so that you can see your neighborhood and your city transformed. This is what God has for us. So that's what I'm going to ask us to do in this series. And I'm going to close just with one other story. In the, in the early 1900s, 
you know, for a lot of years, the, the, the Christian church around the world was kind of, you know, it was liturgical and, you know, not spirit-filled, so, so to speak. And, and then what happened in the early 1900s is there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the nation of Wales in England. And people were seeking God and praying, and the Holy Spirit fell. And the Holy Spirit fell. People were baptized in the Holy Spirit, much like that upper room. And all of a sudden, lukewarm Christians in that area became on fire, and people started getting saved. And I was reading an account of that, uh, of that Welsh revival. It was known as the Welsh Revival. In that city at that time, over 100,000, or in that nation, over 100,000 people got saved. Churches everywhere were filled. And then it said bars and houses of prostitution had to close because there was no business anymore, which was great. I love that. This was the Welsh Revival. Well, soon after that, in other parts of the world, including the USA, there was other outpourings of the Holy Spirit like that. One was in downtown Los Angeles in 1906. There was a small group of dedicated prayer warriors that were praying to God. God, we want you to move in power. How you're moving across the ocean in Wales, we want you to do that here in our home. And soon after that, they felt the Holy Spirit baptize them and fill them with power and boldness. And the people in that room in Los Angeles, 1906, they began to speak in other tongues and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they saw people getting saved, and they were going around prophesying and seeing miracles. There was this revival in Los Angeles, and soon it got too big for the room they were meeting in, so they found an old Methodist church to meet in because there was people who were getting saved, and the Holy Spirit was moving. And they moved to that Methodist church, which was on Azusa Street, and soon thousands were coming to Christ at this Azusa Street revival in the early 1900s. Well, out of that revival there began other churches and other denominations, one of which is the Assemblies of God denomination, began out of that Azusa Street revival. Other Pentecostal denominations, the Assemblies of God is a Pentecostal denomination that started out of that revival. That's our denomination. We are Assemblies of God. So if you thought, I ain't never going to a Pentecostal church. I got bad news for you, right? We're a Pentecostal church, which doesn't mean crazy, which just means we're open to the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit. So out of that revival in the early 1900s, the Assemblies of God started, and now there's you know, hundreds of millions of people a part of Assemblies of God churches around the world. The Pentecostal denomination is the fastest growing like, denomination around the world, second only in number to Roman Catholic or churches and affiliates around the world, and is the fastest growing, evangelizing. And all it means is we're open to the Holy Spirit. We're open to the power of the Holy Spirit for God's presence. We simply just open our hearts and say, God, I want everything you have for me. I don't want to resist something. I want everything you have for me so that I can live the life that you have for me, and I can walk through life in power and boldness and anointing and have the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, enabling us to be more like Jesus and pointing people to Jesus. Amen? This is what we're about as a church. This is what we want to do. We meet in an old Methodist building like those people on Azusa Street. I would love this room right here to be filled with the presence of God and just moving in power and people being baptized in the Holy Spirit and seeing thousands of people from our community come and get healed and saved and transformed, right? Don't you want that? This is what the Holy Spirit is going to do in us and through us. So just to recap today as we close, the Holy Spirit is God's presence in us. It's promised by God for all believers. It's a promise of God for all believers, including us. 
and it's to help us walk through life, and it's to help us draw people and point people to Jesus. That's what we're talking about today.